0: You will learn how to answer tough questions, how to pray in miracles, how to hear the voice of God for yourself, so that ultimately we learn to love the person in front of you. But today we are going to really, come on, follow me here, all right, answer tough questions. And here is the tough question of the day How do all the world religions interpret September 11th? Basically, how do all the world religions explain the problem of evil? Is anybody interested in that? Because yes. if you're not, you can leave now. We will be talking about you behind your back, just so you know. And don't be surprised if a door falls off in your hand. It's happened before. Uh, the reason I'm doing this is a kid at youth group about two weeks ago just asked him, if God knows everything and if God's so smart, why didn't He tell anybody about September 11th was coming? That's a good question for a 13-year-old guy, don't you think? So I was intending to do this Wednesday for the teenagers and then do it for you so that I only had to study once. Yes, I think that way. But we didn't get to it on, on youth group because we had a great conversation on respecting leadership, Uh, Brandy in the midst of, or respecting those who are in authority, Brandy in the midst of us discussing this said, yeah, if you don't learn to respect authority, at some point you're going to disrespect an authority and they're going to take away your freedom. That was a good youth group. So, that's what we're talking about today. (laughs) Look at your neighbor and say, "Hold hold on tight. Before you hold on tight. Yeah, no, you can still hold on tight. I don't care. Here's what I'm going to here's what I want to build off of for a second. I want you to look at this question. We're gonna ask two questions. Here's the first one. Do you believe on this planet there are at least some things that are so horrible they go into a category that we could call evil? I'm not even saying many things. So even if you're pausing and you're thinking, I'm not saying many things. We know how high the incarceration rate is in our country. I'm saying maybe even with people who are incarcerated, maybe only one in ten actually tripped into the category of evil. There's a ton of fallen things. There's a ton of sinful things. There's a ton of horrible things. What I'm asking is, do you think that there are some things that go beyond just being horrible and greedy and selfish and destructive? Do you believe there are some things that could be categorized flat out as evil? Yes. Would you agree that that's not a tough question? Okay, here's the second question. If there's a God, I'm not even proposing there's a God, yet. I'm not even saying what the God sounds like, what the God talks like, what the God's name is, how the God chooses to reveal. I'm just saying, as our second question... If we've established some things could be evil, is it safe to say that if there is a benevolent God, that God would have nothing whatsoever to do with things that are evil? Would you say yes? Amen. That God would just say, God not be empowered. Well, here's the point. If you said yes to evil and no to God's involvement, Wesleyan Christianity is your only philosophical <laughs> option. I am not going to spend the next half hour saying why we're right and why everybody's wrong. I'm going to spend the next half hour saying this is what Jesus teaches. You can choose to agree with it or not. This is the culmination of my journey. I've been studying this since I was 16. So, 20, 25 years. (coughs) That isn't even one of the jokes, folks. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to talk down about anybody else. I'm just saying this is what Jesus believes. This isn't me saying I'm right. This is me just saying I've spent my life studying this, and this is what Jesus teaches, and I just choose to agree with Him. Does that make sense? But first we have two disclaimers. Number one, I'm not besmirching any belief. Believe anything you want. Knock yourself out. Really, I'm not here to try to out-argue you on any subject whatsoever. I'm just saying this is what I believe Jesus teaches. I'm going to list three or four other philosophical options. I have close friends who are in all four options. It does not mean I can't be friends with them. Be- just because we disagree does not mean we hate each other. We just don't come to the same conclusions. Okay? Disclaimer number two is I am going to be simplifying some of the other world beliefs just because they have as many side paths and side conversations and historical arguments as christianity does and i am going to simplify them for today's discussion is that okay all right and by the way i will, I will be simplifying the christian answer too so it's not like i'm trying to pick one or the over the other so let's really quick break a couple things down hinduism and buddhism are similar to Judaism and Christianity. Buddhism came out of Hinduism. Buddha was born and raised a a Hindu before he chose to leave Hinduism to establish Buddhism. Here are some of the things that even though they're distinct, here's a couple things they have in common. Number one, they don't believe in any kind of duality between good and evil, right and wrong, black and white, high and low, rich and poor. They don't believe in any kind of duality. They believe everything is connected and everything comes from the eternal life force and we're all kind of connected that way. In the Hindu creation stories, Brahman, the ultimate reality, was depending on which one you read, either cut himself or was destroyed in a battle. And so the life force of Brahman is within everything and we are all connected. Okay? They don't see good and evil. If you've seen the yin and the yang symbol with the two kind of circling fish with the little dots, the little dots mean... Well, first of all, the two kind of swimming fish means there's good and evil or just kind of a constant cycle. And there's some evil and good, and there's some good and evil. Okay? they would, And the other part that they both agree on is they don't like to break things in good and evil because historically people have divided the world into good and evil, us and them. And once you have a group of people that you call evil, it's very easy to attack them in wars and kills them. And they're correct about that right that's historically been that's historically been the pattern where i would draw a little bit of distinction is i believe the bible tells believers to stick up for the weak yes and when the allies went into germany we weren't trying to kill all the germans we just wanted to get the evil one right. it is possible to distinguish between one evil person amongst a nation D- does that make sense all right <clears throat> The other part we want to touch on really quick is of course the concept of karma. Karma is not some cute, sweet little pixie that flies around and goes, Got you hee hee hee, got you hee <laughs> he okay? karma is the philosophical belief that kept billions of Hindus in the caste system. Have you ever wondered why all of the billions who were considered the lowest of the low in the Indian caste system never rebelled? and overthrew their oppressors, like in America, like the French Revolution, it's because they were taught, in karma, this is where you are now, you do your dharma, you do your life duty. If you're one of the low of the lows, and you stay there, you will go to a higher... Cast later on if you don't stay there and you don't do your dharma which means just to kind of accept things as they are you will then go to a lower caste level or you may go back and you may be an animal that makes sense that's the force of karma at work have you been following the stories of girls getting gang raped in india yes. over the past two and a half years Do they fight for justice? Sure. But what is everybody saying behind the girl's back? What did you do in a past life? Again, if you want to believe that, God bless you. And the other thing you have to understand, which is very close into it, is reincarnation. Both Hinduism and Buddhism are very set on reincarnation, which teaches the ultimate goal of life is to stop being born again. Isn't that an interesting phrase? You ascend the levels of life on earth until you finally eliminate all your karma. Then you go off the will of Bhagavad and you go into nirvana. And I was in my comparative religion class in the uh, early 90s. <clears throat> I, I hope I have a voice to do this. I learned this as, did my dharma, no more karma, <laughs> off Bhagavad to nirvana. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Oh. Da, da, da. Right. I'm not saying it was good, but it's memorable. I mean, I'm sitting here today. So, here's what you have to understand. If karma is at work on in the planet, if something horrible happens to you, it points to your past life. And if something horrific happens to you here on earth, ultimately, the Hindu and the Buddhist perspective is going to say Well, in your next life, you'll have a better situation if you do your dharma, if you fill your life purpose. Does that make sense? So planes go into the Twin Tower. What's the conversation? Well, karma got a hold of some people. And by the way, if you're ever talking to someone who believes in karma, I ask them two simple questions. Is karma created or uncreated? they say that karma was created then I have to say well that sounds an awful lot like God's justice if karma is uncreated and it just always existed I'd say that sounds an awful lot like God right and, and the other interesting thing is karma never really sets out do this and you're going to get blessed do this and you won't be blessed it's part of the writings in Hinduism but it's not as solidly solidified and there's a lot of things that are kind of contradictory so karma is just this random force that's out there that's mostly helping people but if karma was really that active don't you think there'd be a lot less people walking on the planet Anyway, does that make sense so the thought of reincarnation Changes the whole conversation of good and evil. If you don't have an absolute God who is the representative of good, then you don't really have to say, how can evil happen? Hi, Marie. We just started early. Don't worry. (laughs) We actually started on time for once. Kind of shocking, isn't it? Okay, is that making sense? And this idea of karma and the cycle of reincarnation is constantly going. So if someone loses their life when a tower falls a good Hindu-Buddhist perspective is well, they have another life that they're going to be born into really soon. Does that make sense? Okay. Second thing we want to look at in this conversation is, oh by the way, everybody look over here. Don't look at the screen. Anybody here have a friend or a family member who says that all religions teach essentially the same thing? Yes. Okay. I'm going to point out a few differences along the way. This is one of the biggest ones. Hinduism does not necessarily believe there's a god They believe there's an impersonal life force But it's impersonal and doesn't really care that much about people But it's kind of keeping the universe together Hinduism is what we would call polytheism Or possibly henotheism. Henotheism means there's one god above many other little gods uh, Anybody study Greek mythology growing up? Greek mythology is a perfect example of henotheism. There is Zeus or Jupiter from the Roman perspective. And then there's all these other gods and goddesses running around. Hinduism is a great example of that. There is Brahman that's out there. Brahman is the ultimate reality underlying all phenomena. But there's also lots of little gods and goddesses. Up to 1.4 million that I found in my study. Now folks, I want you to get this. For people who think all religions are teaching roughly the same thing, just within Hinduism and Buddhism, which are kissing cousins, you've got a difference between zero and 1.4 million. How many of you know that if you have zero dollars, it is a lot different than having 1.4 million dollars? Okay? So, so just remember, I'm going to go through three or four of these where the Uh, where they have opposite perspectives on different things. So, in Buddhism, this is the reason Buddha left Hinduism. In Buddha, there is no real self or individual. There is just this force that's flowing through all of us, and we're all kind of connected. We're connected with the grass, we're connected with animals, we're connected with rocks. We're all kind of the same life force in just different vessels. This is why Hindus don't eat cows, because cows are higher up on the reincarnation level, okay? And so they are, to, to a Hindu eating a cow is akin to eating yourself. And it could frankly be one of your ancestors. Oh my God. Okay, um, Hinduism believes that yes, within this life force, it's out there, but we're still individuals. Buddha didn't believe this. And this concept that there is a self is called the Atman. And so Buddha, the reason he left Hinduism was saying no, and Atman. So it's just like in English, you, you put an and to, to negate the statement. And that's why Buddhism it exists. One of the teachings of, of Buddhism is the biggest lie humans believe is that we are separate and that we are not connected. Okay? Oh, real quick. So then when the planes go into the tower and the the towers fall, good Buddhist conversation is, yes, they killed themselves, but they also killed a part of themselves in killing everybody else. Okay? Because everything is just interconnected. So here's the other part I want to I touch on really quick. And, and you've heard me say this before, but this is huge. And if I've had this conversation on the problem of evil with any of you, you've heard me say this before. And I really want you to get this. How many of you had somebody say, if God is so good, how can He allow this to happen? Yeah. Okay, here's what you absolutely... If you only get this when you walk out of here today, that's fine. I hope you get a little bit more, but I have a low standards today. No religion No philosophy says life is a smooth ride. None. Only America, in the last 50 years, assumes life's going to be smooth and easy. Have you ever wondered why the Bible doesn't explain the problem of evil much? It's because they assume evil. We want answers they don't think they need to give answers because it's all they've ever known. It's like a fish explaining why water is wet. Okay, it's, wet. it's only in America in the last 50 years that you have fish walking around going, gosh, this water is wet today. And so this is what I say. If you don't like being a Christian, fine. Go be a Buddhist and the first thing you're going to hear is that all of life is suffering. Right? So, yes, Christians have to defend this concept, but other philosophies have to as well. Now, to be one hundred percent fair, so that I, so you don't think I'm picking on anybody, modern American Buddhists will argue the word isn't suffering; it could be better translated emptiness, nothingness, stress, or stressfulness. Okay. There, there are other voices out there. But the prevailing notion, and well, this is where Buddha got it. He was walking and he saw an old man, he saw a blind man, he saw a crippled man, and he saw a poor man. And he made the realization, all of life is suffering. Buddha himself came a life of from extreme privilege and wealth in a time where poverty was just massive. And that's the conclusion he came to. All of life is suffering. And the way that you eliminate suffering is to eliminate desire. Okay, you, you just grow into this detachment from being connected to anything. And if, if you know people who are strong Buddhists, you will realize after a while they have a very strong ability to just kind of move on when stuff goes sideways. And, and not stay as deeply connected to it as most Americans do. Anyone agree with that? If you've known some people who... I mean, I've known quite a few. And, and when their life goes sideways, they do. And, and the reason they have this ability is because they're disconnecting from desire. Folks, you've got to understand something. The, the reason I have a difficulty with this is desire is 100% linked to free will. God will never mess with your free will. Ever. The moment a loving God messes with free will is the moment he stops being loving. And for him to... Have you ever said, Well, God, why don't you just eliminate these things? Hello? For him to eliminate it would mean he would have to take away your desire. And desire is what means you're alive. Right? And if he takes away your desire... And anybody ever say, God, make me stop wanting to... Dot, 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 dot. Now, the moment you prayed that is proof that God's working. But does he ever just completely eliminate something forever? No. You still got to learn. You got to learn to hate what's killing you as much as God hates it. Amen? Even people who have miraculous deliverances from drugs and alcohol, and I've met a few of them, people who just have one step, they still have to learn how to think differently. Or they just become dry drunks. And they get addicted to anger, or they get addicted to busyness, or they get addicted to drama, or they get addicted to... I mean, hello? I don't have to tell you guys this, right? (laughs) Now, for the record, being addicted to one of those things is being better than being addicted to drugs. It is progress. Okay? All right. Uh, so ultimately, when it comes to 9-11, Buddhism and Hinduism would come back and say that they don't want to distinguish between what's evil and what's good. There are just things that are uneducated. There are things that are selfish. There are things that are uh, underdeveloped as opposed to coming right out and saying that something could be evil. They want to eliminate the same impulse. I, I read this directly out of a Buddhist writer. He said, so what we... What, all good Buddhists need to do is go back to their mat and meditate and find places inside of each individual that have the same impulse as the men who hijack the planes. And if you eliminate that impulse from yourself, then you're going to do your part in making the world a better place. Again, I'm not besmirching what they believe. I'm just telling you this is their perspective. And frankly, who are we kidding? That's very close to Jesus saying, don't try to take the, the sliver out of somebody else's eye when you have a great big sliver in your eye, right? Right? But I don't think it addresses the fact that there are some things that are absolutely evil. Anybody here a Les, Mis, Les Miserables fan? John Valjean taking a loaf of bread to feed his nephew. To me is different than the gassing of 7 million Jews to create one Aryan world race. To me, you don't have to agree with that. Okay? You don't have to. But that's that's my belief. And then, of course, there's karmic implications that are going to go on in their own conversation. So let's jump forward a little bit. Let's talk about Islam for a second. Uh... Islam and parts of Hinduism does believe in free will. They do believe everybody has a choice, but Allah controls and empowers all actions. Nothing happens outside of Allah's control. And if that sounds a heck of a lot like Calvinist Christianity, you're exactly right. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in the end. Everything in Islam is the will of Allah. In fact, the word Islam means submit. submit yeah. So we just all submit to the will of Allah, according to that. Actually, I will say this though. There is there is one line in the Quran that I absolutely love. And it goes like this. Trust in Allah, but tie up your horses. <laughs> Isn't that great? So, central to the concept of of Islam is what's called the jihad. Jihad is a holy war. The Quran is probably half the length of the Bible that you might purchase. And yet, in half of the Quran, there are 109 verses supporting jihad as a holy war against infidels. infidels. You know who the infidels are? Us, We're those who gather on Sunday. Jews they call the gatherers those who gather on Saturday. And there's no other way of looking at it. Now, I shouldn't say that. There are some Muslims from America and from Europe who would say, if you believe that jihad is a holy war, you're misquoting the Quran." But jihad is really an internal struggle. Have you heard this before? Well, understand something. A very small percentage of Muslims, all of them who live in uh, Europe or America, and only in the past 40 years, have articulated this belief. To me, it's difficult to embrace that when you have passages in the Quran that say Allah gave us all these great victories because we killed so many people. If you want to interpret that As an internal struggle, go for it. To me, that stretches literary credibility, and it really stretches historical credibility. Does that make sense? Heads? Okay. And then when you come right down to it... Oh, let me go into this really quick. So... As Christians, we believe in heaven because Jesus believed in heaven. Jesus paves the way for us to go to heaven by repenting, which is surrendering. Saying, taking on the righteousness of Jesus so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see us, he sees Jesus. So that when we die, we open our eyes, we're in heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Today you will be with me in, in paradise. We get this, correct? Yes. And our assurance of salvation is, on such a such a date... I repented and made Jesus the Lord of my life. If you don't feel saved, you're probably still saved. That's our assurance of salvation. Islam has no assurance of salvation. In fact, there's no repentance, really. There's no forgiveness of sins in Islam. In Islam, there is a lady holding scales, and at the end of your life, all your good deeds go on one side of the scale, and your bad deeds go on the other one, and if if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, you go to paradise. Is that terrifying for anybody here? Yeah. Uh, based on their following of the Quran. The following of the Quran? Be, be good deeds or, or bad deeds? By the way, always remember something Muhammad is not the opposite of Jesus. Okay? Muhammad is the opposite of Paul. The opposite of Jesus in the Quran is the Quran. The Qur'an is the eternal word from Allah. Just just so you kind of get these things. But here's the thing. The only assurance that you're going to go to paradise in Islam is if you die in a holy war. Muhammad says that, that a week on the battlefield is better than a year of praying. And somewhere else he said... A year on the battlefield is better than seven years of praying. The only assurance of salvation to make sure you receive your 70 virgins is if you die in a holy war. Now, I'm going to make this point, and I really want you to hear what I say and don't add to it. Anybody remember Al-Qaeda? ISIS, before ISIS moved to Syria? Yep. They theologically extended paradise, not just to the, the person who dies by suicide or who dies in jihad. They said if you die in jihad, you and your whole family go to paradise. So if you hear Muslims say that Al-Qaeda and the, those who worked to hijack the planes, if you hear them say that it's a bastardization of, of Islam, on one level, it is. Okay? All right, I'm going to do that later. So ultimately, what does Islam say about September 11th? A small minority of, Islam, of Muslims in America and Europe would say that it's a mockery of Islam, but the historical majority of all Muslims who've ever lived in the Middle East, and by the way, you have to convert, you have to learn Arabic if you become a Muslim because it cannot be. Uh, The Qur'an cannot be fully explained in English or any other language. You absolutely have to start learning Arabic to read the Qur'an. The historical majority would say it was an act of jihad. But can I tell you the differences between Jesus and Muhammad pretty easily? The culmination of Islam, the highest moment is when Muhammad went back to the city of Mecca after they rejected him 40 years earlier. And he rode into the city of Mecca and he slaughtered an entire city because they rejected him. And what's the ultimate moment in Christianity? Jesus on the cross praying for those who are currently killing him. Okay? If people want to say all world religions are the same, you got a colossal problem. Because Jesus has no problem saying, pray for those who persecute you. If somebody comes and punches and basically backhands you, slaps you on the, the left cheek, give them also your right. And by the way, if anybody hears that nutball Matt Shea try to talk about a godly war, Matt Shea, the guy from Spokane Valley, I think if he tried to explain that to Jesus... Jesus would say have you read nothing i wrote do you know nothing of my existence what part of love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you did you not get what part about me letting all of my all of my enemies put me on the cross and then i pray that i can go to that they can go to heaven so i can spend all eternity with them what part of that did you not get okay and that's, that's the same thing then with, with Islam. Yeah. Does that make sense? Is this helpful? Now Judaism is a little bit different. Judaism still believes in free will, but still believes in God's sovereignty, that God is, you know the Lord plan, uh, the man plans a step, but the Lord directs the path. Old Testament still has a big connection to God's sovereignty, and this is where most of Calvinists Get their theology. Friends, understand something. If you are Jewish, and you stop reading at the end of the Old Testament, you know almost nothing of Satan. You know almost nothing of heaven. You know absolutely nothing of hell. Okay? Those three concepts are things Jesus teaches, starting in Matthew. Say, wait a second. Well, what about, what about Satan in the Garden of Eden? No, that was a talking snake. It takes the New Testament to say, that was Satan. Well, what about the book of Job? No. The Satan, the accuser, was one of the sons of God who was part of the heavenly council. And God was shocked that he was even in heaven in the first place. It takes the New Testament to say there is an active force of evil on this planet. That makes sense. Judaism is going to say the, the the path to everything is education, and they're going to look at the the um, the twin towers going down as just being an extension of the Middle Eastern battle that, frankly, Jews have had to put up with a heck of a lot longer than we do. Right? Where did I put it? Oh, by the way, let's go back to world religion differences. Remember we talked about how, they're different, how some people believe all the world religions are the same. Can we get one thing really clear? When it comes to Judaism and the Old Testament, God sure seems to think the Jews have a right to exist. Islam has no problem saying it's your job to either kill... Or tax into submission people who are Jewish. There are passages in the Quran where trees and rocks will say to Muslims, Muslim, look over here, there's a Jew hiding behind me. Come and kill him. Is it fair to say that, that being killed and not being killed are not the same thing? Yeah. Right. Alright, Calvinist Christianity, this is another one that I think is, is not what Jesus is saying. God's sovereign will, they believe, is behind everything. Nothing can exist if God didn't sovereignly ordain it. And this is right out of the mouth of John Piper. This is right out of the mouth of uh, uh, Packer. This is right out of the mouth of Ironside. This is right out of the mind of Timothy Keller. Nothing can happen outside of the ordained plan of God. And they call that God's sovereignty. And they ultimately believe God is ultimately glorified in His sovereignty. Have you heard this before? Yes. That's how God's glory. God is obsessed with His glory, and it only happens because of His sovereignty. Friends, that is human sovereignty. If you are a boss, and your attitude is, all of my employees have to do exactly what I want, to, what I want them to do, that is human sovereignty. They project that onto God. Look at Judas. (laughs) There's somebody who followed Jesus for a long time and and Jesus gave him enough free will to to have him arrested. God's sovereignty is so much bigger. He says, here's all the sovereignty, here's all the free will you need. You can kill me with it. I'm still going to be sovereign. God's sovereignty is in the ability to take even our worst decisions and turn them into something good. Amen. That's what his sovereignty is about. Here's free will. Make great choices. Make bad choices. If you make great choices, I'm going to make them greater. If you make bad choices, I'm going to work them together for the, for the good. For those who love God and called according to His purpose. Calvinists will to say, "Well, God doesn't God doesn't force things, but He determines things." That's the same thing. <laughs> It's the same thing. They're just picking different language. And if you really want to get down to it, if you really believe God micromanages the earth, that's a form of pantheism. You know what pantheism is? Everything is God. If God is making all of our decisions for us and we are all just little puppets on a string... That means that everything that's happening is all part of God, and God's part of everything, and God's making it all happen. That's pantheism, folks. I'm going to get some emails on that one, but that's okay. (laughs) The other one you might hear is, well, sometimes God wears masks. Sometimes God wears the mask of sickness. Sometimes God wears the mask of suffering. Sometimes God wears the mask of disasters. Have you heard that one before? No, that's Satan. Okay, if, if you believe God's behind everything, then what do you need to have a devil for? And let's be really honest with something. Jesus, from the very beginning of his story, is fighting demonic spirits. He comes up from his baptism. He goes out in the wilderness to fight the devil. He comes, he preaches his first verse. A demon interrupts it because the demon re- remembers him from heaven. So there either is an active force of evil on the planet, or Jesus was schizophrenic. Does that, does that make sense? You've got to get this, folks. You, you really have to get this. Okay, here's the thing to write down because I forgot to put it up here. And I hope you remember it because I say it all the time. All-powerful. All-powerful means all-resourceful, not all-controlling. All-powerful means all-resourceful. There's nothing you can do that's outside of God's ability to to reach. It does not mean all-controlling. Because the moment God overrides free will is the moment he ceases to be loving. And God will never cease to be loving. And also remember, friends, we only talk about free will in the bad sense. But let's talk about free will in the good sense. For there to be a chance, for there to be Mother Teresa, there had to be a chance for there to be World War II. Goodwill can go both directions. Sorry, free will can go both directions. This is why God is, is, is so committed to us learning to make good choices, because then He gets to empower them, and He gets to strengthen them, and then we get to create the world He wants us to create. Will it always be a fight? Of course it will! The moment it stops being a fight is when you start killing yourself because you're finally doing the devil's work for him. He goes, fine, I'll leave you alone. I got you so wrapped up in drugs. It's just a matter of time before you kill yourself. Jesus says, follow me. And every day you get a little bit more freedom. Satan says, follow happiness. And every day you get a little more bound. And you get less happiness. You get more addictiveness and more self-destruction. Would anybody say that's true from their life? Amen on that one. Say that on a regular basis. And here's the other one. And this is the one that I hope all of you get so I don't have to go sit and weep quietly in the corner. They'll say, well, we don't understand because it's God's secret plan. (laughs) So many Christians on Facebook, thankfully not here, I'll just hear him say, I don't know what God's doing. He's trying to make you look like Jesus. It's not a secret. His will is for us to be conformed to the image of His Son. His will is for we are His workmanship, created for good works for those in Christ Jesus. It's not a secret plan. And I gotta warn you about something, folks. If you really get this, you're gonna really have a problem listening to Christian pop music. I know. Right. That's right. And again, I'm not knocking it. I, I love I love the song that has the chorus. Sometimes, uh, sometimes what is it? Sometimes pain com- No, sometimes your miracle comes through teardrops. Sometimes your blessing comes through pain. Okay. That's a good heart. That's a good heart. But it's not Bible. Will God use raindrops to bring grace and glory? Absolutely. Will God use the pain that the enemy inflicted on you to, to, to firm his character? Of course he will. Satan is obsessed with your weaknesses so he can crush you with them. God is obsessed with your weaknesses so he can strengthen them. Yes. And what looks like discipline is really the enemy getting in a little deeper than you wanted him to. And God trying to say, hey, let's, let's figure out how to do this better. My, when my mentor was battling cancer and a, and a fellow pastor came in and said, oh, Pastor Jerry, I don't know how God can give you cancer. He said, get out of my room. I can't beat cancer and fix your theology at the same time. And, and do you know why God can't give you cancer? He doesn't have it. It's not in his tool kit. Jesus never made somebody sick so he could heal them later. He never said to a sick person, well, are you getting, are you getting godly through your sickness? Right? But how often do you hear Christians say this? Now... When you're in the battle and you're battling symptoms and you're getting closer to Jesus, praise God, keep going. But you got to discern. The cancer surgeon doesn't give you cancer, so he has something to do on Tuesday. And let's be really clear about something. You remember the story where... Okay, so here's a a great example of, of the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Old Testament, they still believed in a form of karma. Blindness was a curse from God. So what does Jesus do everywhere he goes? He heals! So when Jesus runs into the man who's born blind, what does everybody want to know? Who sinned? Was it his mom? Was it him? Why? Karma got him. Are you hearing that? And what does Jesus do? It wasn't sin! And so God would be glorified. Come here. Boom. That's what God's glory looks like. And don't you ever listen to somebody who says, Well, God from before eternity said, I want that guy to be blind so that he can meet Jesus down here, so Jesus can heal him, so God will be glorified. No. God healed everybody. He healed, He delivered, and He taught. He taught, He healed, He delivered. He delivered, he taught, he healed. After he healed, he taught about healing. After he delivered, he taught about deliverance. If, you, if I cast out a demon by the finger of God, you know the kingdom of God is amongst you. And this is why I get so hot and bothered. What is the American church doing? teaching, teaching teaching, filling up backpacks with school supplies, and mowing the lawn in junior highs. Now, are those things good? Of course. We do them. But if you take out the healing and the deliverance, where's the power? Where's the hope? Right? And let's be really specific about something. There are whole swatches of Christianity that don't believe God heals and if God heals well that's just Satan trying to get them confused okay the Elizabeth can't cast out and let's be really clear about something and there are guys like John MacArthur and yes I will use his name who will will be in teaching that well Satan is the one who's healing people and it's not really God because he wants to get them confused folks you've got to understand something when you start blaming God for what Satan is doing It's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And when you blame Satan for what God's doing, that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. This is not a little issue. And the reason we as a church pursue the miraculous life of the believer is because we are fully convinced God hides things for us. He doesn't hide things from us. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of a king to seek it out. Our job is to seek. God, if your word says I lay hands on the sick and they recover, I'm going to keep seeking until I do. I'm not going to water the word of God down. Amen? Amen? Yes. Alright. So it's not a secret plan. Last book in the Bible is called Revelation. Not secret <laughs> plan. <laughs> okay. So, next time you hear one of your Christian friends say, I don't know what God's doing, what are you going to say? He's trying to make you look like Jesus. Something goes sideways and they go, Well, why did God allow this? God didn't allow it, Adam did. God doesn't create evil, God creates freedom. Oh boy, I still get to go through Jesus. How are we doing? Oh, oh, okay. This is why we started on time today. Look at your neighbor and say, here we go. Now it gets good. So this is out of Luke 13. Look at at the example Jesus gives. Or Or those 18 who died when the tower In Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? What's Jesus appealing to? Their belief in karma. Yes, that's right. Tower fell on you. You must, have been, you must have been bad. Right? And then he goes on to say, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now, folks, I want you to look at this verse because you are going to be gobsmacked At all that is packed into these two verses. First of all, Jesus says it's not karma. Christians have grace. We still sow and reap. But in grace, we have God's blessing on our good choices. And God will mitigate our bad choices. Doesn't mean we still won't sow and reap. Okay. It's not karma. Second thing, Jesus basically says evil exists. Yeah, evil happens. We've seen bumper stickers that say other stuff happens. Well, Jesus is saying, hey, evil happens. Third thing, Jesus points out there is a God. How do we see this? When Jesus says, unless you repent, these are Jews, who do you repent to? God. So atheism and agnosticism are ruled out if you want to agree with Jesus. Jesus, or Jesus also implies that God judges our actions. I love, the, I love the tattoo people get that says, Only God can judge me. You're comfortable with that? <laughs> it said, see, unless you repent, you too will all perish. And then finally, Jesus alludes to that there is something worse than hell on earth. And that's hell after earth. Unless you repent... You will perish. Jesus says there's something worse than hell on earth. Worse than the ice capades. (laughs) Worse than Disney on ice, folks. I mean, this is. And then always remember hell is a loving God, giving people what they love most independence from God. Every human being right now is saying one of two things either God, help me, I surrender, I'll do it your way, or they're saying, leave me alone. And ultimately, what's God going to do? Leave him alone. He's not going to force anybody into heaven. Did I Did I ever? Did I already talk about? I'm forgetting what I've said and what I haven't said. Second service. Did I already talk about nobody gets to heaven on a technicality? I don't think I did. I'm going to make this really quick. The Bible does affirm deathbed conversions. Okay. Thief on the cross. Last moment. Today you'll be with me in paradise. The parable about the, ta- about the talents. The get people who worked all day get the same amount as the people who come in at the last minute. The Bible does affirm last minute conversions. Praise God. Yeah. But you won't get into heaven on a loophole. Right. I had a relative who literally told me, Well, I figured all this out and, and just before I die I'm going to repent and have Jesus come into my heart and I'm going to get into heaven. It's not how it works. A, how do you know it's gonna, when you're going to die? But B, nobody gets to heaven on a loophole, folks. Jesus isn't going to be walking around heaven. And then all of a sudden, my relatives show up and he goes, How did you get in here? And my relatives go, Hey, last minute, I just said, Jesus, just as I am. With a, and now I'm in heaven. No, it doesn't work that way. Okay? Later on, two verses later, Jesus says, then, this, then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound, not God, she wasn't bound so that she could become more godly, whom this woman is 18 long years to be set free in the Sabbath from what bound her. This does not... <laughs> Jesus is not saying every illness or sickness is an act of the enemy, but some are. And if you want to say that all sickness and death is from the enemy going back to the Garden of Eden, you can. Because it was supposed to be all all life and people running around naked in the garden. So if you want to blame it that far back, you can. But Jesus points to And then the next one, verse 24, Jesus says, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many will try to enter from a wider door and not be able to. Who is the onus on? Us. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to force you through the narrow door. He says, everybody's going through a door at some point. You find the narrowest one. You find the most people to bless. You find the most people to touch. When he says this in the Sermon on the Mount, this is right after he says... Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Enter in through the narrow gate. The way we make a better world is we try to say, I'm going to bless more people than anybody I know. I'm going to love more people than anybody I know. Amen? Verse 32, he finds out that Herod is trying to kill him. Where do we remember Herod trying to kill Jesus from? Say Christmas. Christmas. Christmas stories, Herod tried to kill Jesus when he was born, Herod now is trying to kill him again. And if you went to Jesus Christ Superstar last night, you saw Herod dressed up like a member from Kiss. It was pretty cool, actually. Anyway, that's not the point. What does Jesus say? Remember, folks, remember, this is the most evil, powerful man alive, and he wants Jesus dead. This isn't a little threat, folks. What does Jesus say? I keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. What does Jesus say his job is? Not yet. What what does he say his job is? What does he do? He heals sick and he drives out demons. And there are chunks of people in the Christian community who say that's not for today. I think Jesus would have a problem with that. And then on the third day, referring to his resurrection, I reach my goal. His ultimate goal is to end The power of death. But I want you... Okay, here's a big one. Look at your neighbor and say, this is the big one. one. This is where it gets good. Come on, come on. Jesus is the Son of God, but who is He eternally? God. Okay? Jesus is God, correct? It's the crux of Christianity. This is God talking. I want you to remember this. He's talking about Jerusalem. He says, How often have I longed to gather you, your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks? How many people want God's protection in their life? What does he say in this passage? He wants to protect you. But look at my subtle highlighting. (laughs) And you were not willing. Why did God allow this? Why didn't God... You hear people talking about this all the time. What is Jesus saying? I want to. Right? Just, I think, a couple more things. Are you holding on okay? Because ultimately Jesus enlists us to fight evil. And then ultimately, you've got to remember something, folks. You will never fight evil that you think God is behind. Yeah. This is why this is such an important conversation. And frankly, you won't pray. If you think God micromanages the universe and God's going to do what God's going to do... Okay, I've got to say this. Doc got it. Does anybody here have a friend or family member who believes God micromanages the universe and, and just controls everything? Probably most of us know a few people that way. You want to blow their mind... Ask him a really simple question. Have you ever said to your teenagers it doesn't matter what you choose? <laughs> no. and if they believe God's in control it doesn't matter. Go ahead. Have unprotected sex. God's in control. Go ahead. Start doing drugs. God allowed it. God allowed you to shoot heroin between your toes. He he must have allowed it. Anybody here have a parent who's ever said that to their teenagers? Well, if God's in control, why are you afraid to? Go ahead, kids. Have unprotected sex. God's in control. And if you come back and you get gonorrhea, well, God allowed it. Hello? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That was the best boo. Well-timed. But folks, this is out there. This is out there. So ultimately, I'm going to make this really quick. Jesus and other religions. Part of the reason I'm a believer is because of this next thought. In Judaism, they think Jesus was a fantastic prophet who was a great example of Second Temple thought. They think he understood the word and he did good to everybody he came in contact with. They don't believe he's God. They don't believe he's the Messiah. But they believe that he he did what a good Jew would do. Islam believes that Jesus was the the precursor to Muhammad and he was one of the enlightened ones that Allah had used. And someday Jesus is going to come back and is going to rule the world with Muhammad. And every good Muslim should read about the life of Jesus. They have a different interpretation. They don't think he died on the cross. They think Judas died on the cross. Why? Because how could a godly person be punished like that? Right? Right? Hinduism loves Jesus because Hinduism shows that he's one of the uh, Marahis and he was the great example of how Hinduism works. And he's a perfect example of what happens if you live your life according to Hindu principles. A young man named Mahatmas Gandhi, do you remember him? He said that I am just a Hindu who's trying to live like Jesus. And then of course Buddhism, they really love Jesus. He was the enlightened one that came after Buddha that talked about principles that line up with the eight, simple, or the eight uh, balanced paths. And Buddhists absolutely believe he is a perfect example of the connectedness to all of us. What does Jesus say? I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You search the Scriptures thinking they talk to you about life. The Scriptures talk about me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And yes, I noticed first service that I spelled buy wrong. But God allowed it. It was His sovereign will. And if you want to think of it this way if you want to buy real estate in heaven, you got to go through Jesus. He's your real estate agent. That's actually pretty good. Uh, here's the final thought. Here's the final thought. Ready? Ready? All the world religions point to Jesus, Jesus points to Himself. And, and if he wasn't God, he was the most arrogant person that ever walked the face of the earth. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. He's either God or a fraud. And so the, the reality is if he is who he says he is, we all have a decision to make. Who is Jesus and what did you do with that information? Right? Right? So what, is, what does Jesus say about the Twin Towers? He says the planes flying into the building are not God's will. The people risking their life running up a building to rescue the weak, to rescue those who put in their life in harm's line, yeah, that's God's will. Has this been helpful? Yes. All right. If you like this conversation, make sure you're here next week because I should have...